It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Here we go with Malia Jacobson as your host. Hello, and thank you for joining me for the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. I'm your host, sleep and health journalist, Malia Jacobson. I hope you're doing well. As we roll into December, you may be feeling the effects of holiday indulgence. Maybe you're feeling a little bit tired, wanting to get a little bit more rest and head into the next season with a few new elements in your self-care routine. Today's guest is right up that alley and I am very excited to speak with her. Dr. Lonsdorf is an expert in Ayurvedic medicine, which is an ancient practice rooted in the tradition of yoga. And if it's a new term to you, don't worry. We will go over what Ayurvedic medicine is and some of the terms early in the interview. So if it's a completely new area to you, you should have no problem following along with the discussion. A little bit about Dr. Lonsdorf. She is a practicing physician and Ayurvedic expert specializing in women's health issues. She was named one of the nation's most prominent Ayurvedic doctors by the Chicago Tribune. Dr. Lonsdorf currently has a private practice in integrative holistic medicine and Ayurveda in Fairfield, Iowa, and teaches Ayurveda to medical doctors and health practitioners at the Scripps Center for Integrative Medicine and at the University of Maryland School of Medicine's Center for Integrative Medicine. She received her medical degree from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and her residency training in psychiatry at Stanford University. I'm very excited to speak with Dr. Nancy Lonsdorf and listen to her share her expertise with us about how we can feel more rested and step up our self-care routine this winter. So let's get her on the line. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Lonsdorf. I am so excited to talk to you today. Oh, Malia, it's great to be here. How was your holiday weekend? Was it uh, relaxing, busy? Uh, I, I had a very quiet weekend, but I enjoyed a little bit of family life virtually. And I have a, a brother in town that we got together and sat outside and ate our Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> Yeah, that's always nice. We have been having spectacular weather here in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, just unheard of for this time of year. And it does feel like kind of a silver lining to be able to spend more time outside. Normally it's normally we have terrible, terrible Thanksgiving weather to the point where I always feel bad for people visiting family at this time of year because they just get the worst possible picture of Washington weather, it's dark, it's always rainy, it's cold, it's just slushy and mucky. And we've had gorgeous, gorgeous blue skies and crisp leaves and it's been wonderful. Beautiful. I was, I was, I was thinking on Thanksgiving, well, we must be just lucky in the Midwest. And then I heard my East Coast friends said that he had a beautiful day. And now I'm hearing the West Coast had a beautiful day. I guess the God shined on the whole country to cheer everyone up on Thanksgiving. So. Yes. I know it, it does feel, it does feel like a, a silver lining. Yeah, for sure. So you have such an interesting background and I, I want to start with just a little bit about Ayurveda. Um, for people unfamiliar with Ayurveda, can you tell listeners what it is? And as a medical doctor, what drew you to uh, this work? 
I started um, with an interesting, just an interest in the mind and mind-body connection when I was in, I, oh, probably grade school, high school, college. I, I, I decided at one point I'd be a psychiatrist. And I went to, um, actually, when I was in college, one of my friends said she was going to become a naturopath. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, oh, you use herbs and natural things to heal people. And I said, why would you want to do that? Don't you want to be a real doctor? And that was kind of my mindset. But actually, I, I, I went to Johns Hopkins Medical School, and then I did psychiatry at Stanford. But I, I must say that I became uh, disappointed in the limitations of the traditional Western approaches for health and healing. And I actually became a convert. I guess I ended up doing a practice more like a naturopath over time is that I learned Ayurveda, which is a natural system of medicine that with a very long history and it has its origins in India. It's over 5,000 years old and considered to be the longest continuously practiced system of medicine in the world. And what drew me to it was my meditation practice because it has its origins in India, just as yoga does. And yoga is coming from the tradition of Veda, V-E-D-A. And that's ancient knowledge of life and uh, how to live life in a healthy way and to develop one's um, not only physical health and body, but also mental and spiritual as well. So I was drawn to that. And uh, Ayurveda was uh, introduced to me and I decided that uh, to take a look at it. And frankly, um, my husband at the time jumped into it before I did. He read some books and then he started to type me and say, oh, you're this or you're that dosha and you're this. And I said, well, wait a second. I'm the doctor in the family. I, I got to learn this out of self-defense. So. So actually, I, I did. I learned it, I, but I loved it. It was. It just made a lot of sense to me, and it brought me so many tools, just with um, the initial foundational knowledge I had. So much to help my patients and even myself and and my family. Right. And one thing that I have noticed um, in researching Ayurveda, it, it, and I've been a yoga practitioner for a long, long time, but I don't know much about Ayurveda. And there's quite a language um, that goes along with it. There's doshas you mentioned and all sorts of other things. And that to me seemed like a little bit of a learning curve to just get all the different words and um, kind of crack that code. I know that every everything has its own word um, and language associated with it, but can you explain what is a dosha? And are there other words that we should know to kind of preface our discussion of Ayurveda so that so that we're all on the same page? Oh, well, I love that you jumped in feet first on that. It's, it is, um, but, and addressed it head on because I think it is something that may create hesitation for some people to even look at it. I mean, even the name Ayurveda is, a, is an unusual name. It's not something that we, most of us, unless we're really heavy into a yoga, have heard. It's not in the daily language. So. Right. I've never been sure that I was saying it correctly until I just asked you. Just now. And I don't know that I say compared to an Indian, I probably don't pronounce. <laughs> Americanized is pretty much like Ayurveda, and um, you know, I think for Ayurveda, there's so much you can get just from without even knowing your dosha from, you know, from your datu. Uh, you don't need to really know the specifics 
to get started and to get a lot of very practical value from it because we're finding in Western research, you know, or just research around the world now, that's looking more deeply into not just what is disease and how do we treat which diseases with what drugs, but rather how do we stay healthy and what are the con contributors to good health in our lifestyle or in our diet or in a supplement or in a spice. Uh, and we're, you know, in the last 20 to 25 years, there's been an explosion of really good high level research from very reputable institutions around the world into these, into these factors. And it's been very fulfilling to me to see that many of the Ayurvedic principles are being validated today by the research. And, and I would say one huge one is the whole area of chronobiology or the biology of time, you know, which includes our daily cycle and um, our circadian rhythm and our sleep cycle, our wake cycle, and even our digestive cycles. Uh, this has all been known in Ayurveda for all these thousands of years. And when I first learned Ayurveda, it was the late 1980s and there was nothing nothing available on this topic, uh, you know, except very abstract, maybe obtuse research from, you know, rats in labs. But now we're finding that there's such a powerful component of time and the influence of light on our brains and our hormones, and therefore our circadian rhythm and our sleep and our balance and our immunity. So Ayurveda had specific recommendations that I was preaching or, or suggesting to my patients uh, well before there was research, but you know, it made sense and it worked. And when people tried it, they said, oh, I feel so much better when I go to bed earlier, or I feel so much better when I take this morning walk. So we can, we can talk about some of that or dive into it. And I think uh, we can do doshas, but you know, I think in a verbal format, it's kind of confusing, but I don't mind giving a little overview if you want. Sure. Yeah. Just, just maybe a brief overview of, of what it is so that someone listening to the discussion has kind of a foothold um, and can, okay. can follow. So, well, Ayurveda, we, we all know that there's nutritional science, there's understanding of hormones, and there's a you know, there are doctors who deal with bioidentical hormones. There are um, anti-aging doctors who are looking at metabolism and when we eat and how much carbs and all of that. But there's a, a whole nother dimension beyond, you know, Western medicine with its disease orientation, drug orientation, and then all this wide variety of kind of different lifestyle medicines, functional medicine, etc. It's all valid and all important, but it is missing a dimension that Ayurveda brings that is very powerful. And that dimension is the understanding of the various, I call them super systems of the body. Like uh, these are the doshas I'm, I'm gonna describe, but they're, they're the super systems. It's like, we know when we go to a Western doctor, you know, they look at, um, you know, our, our, we have a different doctor for each system, a GI system doctor, a neurologist for our nervous system. We have um, a, a rheumatologist for the musculoskeletal system and on and on, cardiologist for our heart. So it's all focused on individual systems. 
Well, what Ayurveda does is it looks at what is common to all the systems and all the organs and all the tissues and all the cells and all of the subcellular components. It, it describes that there are three basic super functions or super systems that's common to every level of the body and they're interrelated and we could, we, they're necessary for life. They're basic things that are needed for this organism. Like you're looking at your body, you're sitting in it right now. And for that to be alive, you need three basic things. Do you want to make a, it, by the way, how do I pronounce, is it how I want to pronounce your name correctly. I think it's I Malia. Yeah. Okay. Malia. Yeah. Like Maria, but with an L. <laughs> okay, Malia. So, so, um, you want to take a try, try at it? What are some of the, what's, what would be a super, super function that keeps you alive right now? You want to try out? Okay. So I think I'm familiar there. There are three pill. I heard them described as pillars of health or components of health in Ayurveda. Well, so I think sleep is one of them, right? Well, actually I'm thinking of the, the doshas, but you're right. Okay. There are pillars okay. of health. So different Sleep things. One of them. <laughs> See, I <laughs> need, I need this coaching. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'm just trying to give, make a context that uh, you can understand and anyone can understand, which would be, we need, um, first of all, we we're breathing, right? We right. need, and our heart is beating and our circulation's going. And if that stops, we're dead. Right. So we, we need movement, flow, circulation. So that's what we say. It's like we have a software program in our in our body mind system. It's like on our computer and it runs the whole motion and meta, uh, movement and circulation show. That's called Vata. OK, that's okay. the super system of movement. OK, um, now what causes our uh, for our heart to beat? And for that, it's a muscle, it needs to contract. What does it need? We need to feed it, right? It needs fuel. It's right. burning energy. So we have to have a way to create energy. So that's our whole energy production super system and that we call Pitta in Ayurveda. And um, it has its own intelligence that keeps that in balance. We call that like the software system. That's really what the dosha is. It comes from a deep level of nature that is basically a program. It's an intelligence within our genes and even beyond. And then the last thing that we need to, to be alive, well, this is really obvious, but we're sitting in a body, right? If we didn't have muscles and tissues and bone and hair and skin, we wouldn't be here. So we need the structural components. We need those building blocks that make our cells and our whole body. So we need the physical component. That's what we call the kapha. Kapha, K-A-P-H-A. So we have vata is the movement and flow, V-A-T-A. Then we have the energy production, all the fire and metabolism and digestion, and that's the pitta, P-I-T-T-A. And then we have the kapha, which is the material, the structure and the lubrication and the liquids and the solids of the body. That's K-A-P-H-A. So we have vata, pitta, kapha. And, and basically, if all of those super systems are functioning perfectly, we're going to have good health. Now, if we have perfect circulation, we're not having cardiovascular issues, right? We're not having a stroke or a heart attack. If we have good digestion, which is so uncommon, so uncommon, unfortunately, today. But if we have good digestion and metabolism, we don't put on too much weight. We have good energy during the day. And if we um, have strong 
you know, good kapha, then our bones are strong. We're not getting osteoporosis and our muscles are strong. We're not getting frailty as we get older and falling over and such. So, you know, basically those processes are going on every day that, that are circulating and are digesting and are removing the wastes as well and are keeping our body strong and rebuilding it moment by moment. Okay, well, thank you so much for that overview. That's very, very helpful. And I think that'll be important context for the discussion. So I do know that sleep is an important component or pillar of health in Ayurveda. And so I'm sure it's something that you work with your patients on. What are some of the most common sleep complaints you're hearing from the patients you're working with, especially this year? Well, this year, is probably just more, more of them. Uh, and in younger people, I'm seeing sleep problems come up, not only in you know people over 50 or 45 for women, but in even younger, younger people. I think that the uncertainties of today are contributing. Uh, some people are you know, have it easier than others. I think if you have small children, you mentioned to me, you have three children remote learning on the internet right now at home. Yes. So, yeah. You know, uh, more power to you to, to keep all of your work together as you're also attending and, and overseeing them at home. So I'd say that there's just more that pe a lot of people have to keep track of more on their plate. So I think it's harder to wind down at the end of the day um, and maybe there are some financial worries or other things, which, as we know, those can crop up at that witching hour, maybe at three in the morning and people will wake up and can't get back to sleep. Right. I think you mentioned chronobiology and the, the biology of time. And it does seem like everyone's schedules have been so disrupted that, you know, from just parents in my position with kids learning at home and you still have work responsibilities and caretaking responsibilities, then work gets pushed to it late at night and you don't have as much time to wind down. And just things that are that would normally happen during the workday are not able to happen during the workday. And so just everyone's schedules are just pushed in every different direction. And, mm -hmm. and there isn't enough time, as you mentioned, to wind down at the end of the day. And it's tough because, you know, you work so, it, it, it's so difficult to establish a good routine and a schedule that works for you, um, especially when you have kids whose needs are always changing. And then um, to have, you know, I mean, of course, the, the pandemic has been so difficult for so many people in so many different ways, um, but it is difficult to have just your, your routine so disrupted um, with kind of no way to, to get it back on track. Um, right now while, while the kids are still learning at home because work still needs to be done. Or very often it's, um, you know, most parents now who have kids learning at home are doing some sort of asynchronous learning where schoolwork does not necessarily need to be completed during the school day. So that's kind of code for um, you will be up at 11 p.m. printing out your child's social studies homework. <laughs> Um, so asynchronous learning is actually kind of a, you know, it's, it was supposed to be a good thing, but it's something that um, actually pushes more parents and more kids to be um, working around the clock instead of just during the school day. So mm -hmm. yes, that, that time piece is, is really coming up. The routine disruption is a big thing. 
Well, routine um, is a really big component of bounds and Ayurveda has talked a lot about it. It even has a term, uh, uh, dinacharya. Dina means the day, the cycle of like diurnal. Dinacharya is daily routine. And even, even back when life was much more routine 5,000 years ago, uh, they appreciated that this routine was important. And sleep researchers also, uh, Matthew Walker, the best-selling author of Why We Sleep, which I highly recommend. It's a fantastic book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. He, he said if he had only one recommendation to people, and he, he, it's interesting, he doesn't, I didn't see that he supported it with any research, but he said his most important recommendation would be to have a regular bedtime stick to a regular time that you go to bed. Now, he didn't specify the best time, and there is some uh, difference in people's circadian rhythms and the onset of melatonin. But um, I would say, you know, what Ayurveda tells us is that in general, for most people, the best bedtime is by around 10. So indeed, if you're up at 11 on the computer and looking at the screen and printing things out, you're, you're um, inhibiting your melatonin, which is trying to rise. So what happens is the melatonin rises later, like instead of starting to go up and then starting to peak around 10.30 or 11, I'm not peak, but it reaches a, a much higher level than the day. It's like it reaches the fastest acceleration of its increase, you know, and then it's going to stay high during the night and then it's gonna drop after about three or four in the morning gradually till you wake up. So if you're up and you're doing stuff with your eyes and the light and hope, you know, computer screen and thinking and, active at 11, what happens is all of that light and all that activity suppresses your melatonin. So when you do go to bed, say you go to bed at 12, well, your melatonin then says, okay, it's dark now, she's resting, now I'll slowly rise up. And it never rises as high as it would have if you had been in bed at 11 um, with your eyes closed. So you never get quite as much of that immune boosting benefit of melatonin because you just, you know, you didn't allow your body to follow its natural wave. Right. Yep, absolutely. And I was doing great. That's a, that's a change that I made as well. And just as a journalist, I, I've covered sleep for, oh gosh, over like a decade. I don't know. It's been a long time, 12 years <laughs> maybe. Um, and that's the big, that's the one piece of advice that I would get from, I've, I've interviewed so many sleep uh, researchers and, and doctors, and that's the one piece of advice that was very consistent. And it was the one thing that I really struggled to do for myself. And this year I finally did, and it did make such a big difference. And, it, and um, on the other end of the going to bed at, the, at 10 is a great habit to get into. But on the other side of that, it's waking up at a consistent time. I think that was the piece that I struggled with. And I think the piece that a lot of people that I work with struggle with, because um, when you do, especially when I think in the in the phase of having young kids at home, um, you feel like, well, I, I need to make up sleep when I can. So if there's an opportunity to sleep a little bit later, I will. Um, but 
for myself, if I sleep even a half hour past my normal wake up time, I have trouble falling asleep at 10. So it's really sticking to that morning wake up time. Um, and then from there, I find that the, the bedtime comes much easier. But that was that was a change that I made this year. And it has been a game changer. Um, and now, um, as remote learning has gotten a little more intense this fall, it's been tougher to stick to that. But I'm, I'm trying to get back to that 10pm because yeah, that works for me. Wonderful. That's um, a good point. So uh, talking about more about the Ayurvedic approach to sleep, I know it's not just as simple as going to bed at 10 p.m. Is there, um, you mentioned that there are different types of circadian rhythms. Is there more to the approach to sleep or is it mainly um, the early bedtime that's kind of foundational um, and the, the biggest thing? Oh, there's there. That's very key, but you know there are many, many other pieces to it. One of them is the exposure to morning light, which has been validated by Western research as being very helpful for uh, improving melatonin and sleep onset. So, like you say, to get up at a certain time, and Ayurveda recommends highly. It says that for any health problem or for any any you know, buddy desiring long life and good health to get up in the morning and go out for at least uh, 20 minutes in the morning sun. It didn't say how many minutes, but it said take a walk in the morning sun. And that's like the panacea for, for all issues that uh, anybody- It helps so much, yeah. And, and Northwestern scientists, Northwest, Northwestern University scientists from Chicago area, they did research on the, this phenomenon of morning light. And they discovered that 20 minutes of morning light is associated with uh, better metabolism and lower body mass index, regardless of people eating the same number of calories and getting the same amount of sleep. If they get 20 minutes of morning light, they weigh less. Isn't that, that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And it, that's another thing I think this year with kids not going out doors to school, they don't have that natural dose of morning light that came with standing outside at the bus stop or walking yeah. into their school building. And yeah. so I, we do a neighborhood walk in the morning, every morning, rain or shine, wow. just to um, kind of mimic that, um, you know, period of time where we would be walking into school, we would be standing on the playground or walking to the bus. Um, because otherwise, I find that everyone just wakes up and kind of gets going with their day, logs into their screen for the day and their remote learning, and they don't get that morning light and it kind of just naturally falls by the wayside, just sort of slips right out of the routine because there's no need to go outside. So we have to create it and be intentional about it. And now, and I've said on other episodes, now, if I'm not ready to go at our walk time, my kids are dragging me out the door. At first I was definitely... <laughs> definitely the drill sergeant. Like you guys, I, you know, I have a job and it's not to be your, you know, cheerleader and camp counselor <laughs> um, and pushing you out the door on a walk. But now they want me to go on the walk and it's really, um, it, that's, that's the more, it's the morning light that I really um, want them to get. Not so much, you know, getting a certain number of steps in or, or whatever. Yeah. Well, beautiful. It's, it's, it's a mood booster too, as you know, the whole concept of seasonal affective disorder 
Uh, morning light is a therapy against depression, even not so much seasonal depression, but it can help any kind of depression. So, you know, there's a spectrum of that. It means that even in reasonably balanced, emotionally balanced people that getting that morning light is a, a important component of maintaining that good mood and, and energy for the day. And, and again, it's another reset of our circadian rhythm day by day. So it helps to keep our sleep good at night, that our body is registering when it's light and when it's, when it's morning and and getting out in that morning sun is a powerful reset for our, our hypothalamus and the suprachiasmic nucleus, which is like our master circadian clock. So fabulous. I'm, I'm kinda, I kind of chuckled at you telling me now that your children are, are dragging you out and are making sure you go out. It's sort of almost like the, the, the family dog, you know, you have to walk yeah. the dog. So people who have a dog, they just- I know, I know. Day. It is fabulous. It's a Believe me, we don't have a dog and I have never considered it as strongly as I have this year. <laughs> just like something to, to get everyone outside and, and walking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I know a lot of other people are, jumping on that trend as well. Well, uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, we have such a late sunrise right now. I think it's something like, um, I don't know, it's 7.30 or even later. So we don't really get full morning light until eight and a lot of folks are already at work by then. If you aren't available to really take advantage of morning light during this time of year, does a light box help? Or do you recommend that people look into those if they can't get out for a walk when it's actually light? Um, it depends on the person. Uh, it, it's certainly it's a light box with certain amount of lux. Uh, I have to look up the exact numbers, but it's been shown to help to prevent depression in the winter, uh, especially if you use it around the time of sunrise or before. There's also, um, these lights that will simulate, they're like daylight simulators or sunrise simulators, and you can set them uh, at a certain time, even you know before the sunrise is going to happen. And actually even those, like it's a light in your bedroom that starts to yes. very dim and then it gets brighter and brighter and brighter and say by seven or 6.30 or whenever you wanna get up, it's nice and bright. That also has been shown in initial studies to be equal to light box and, uh, if you don't mind being woken up, you got to have an alarm anyway. That's a nice way to do it. Right. Yep, absolutely. So many people have mentioned those um, dawn lamps, I think they're called, um, for years and years and years. And now there's new ones that are connected to, you know, your smart home. And I mean, they have all sorts of new integrated capabilities, but there's still just the basic ones that I think start to come on 30 minutes before you want to wake up. Um, that have been recommended many, many, many times over. Now, you know, the, the official recommendation that comes from Ayurveda, it says uh, a walk in the, the rising sun. So it doesn't have to be um, even, you know, it can be just at dawn. I have uh, one of my patients sent me a beautiful photo of, uh, she took of, of uh, she was out walking and she was looking at the beautiful sunrise and there were people ahead of her on the road and she took a picture of this, uh, these this couple walking into the sunrise it was it was very beautiful and you got a sense of that magic of that early morning so um there's nothing wrong with walking now at 7 30 or so if you have right. a safe 
place, you know? So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, that is one thing that I do enjoy about this time of year is you can, you can actually catch the sunrise. It's not at four, you know, 4.30 AM like it is in, in June. So it is, sometimes I time my runs so that I can coincide with a, a sunrise. It's a lot easier to do right now. Um, so that's a good transition to the next question. Ayurveda seems to be really grounded in the seasons with different approaches to certain issues based on the season that we're in. So as we're transitioning to winter, are there things that people should know about um, that if they're, especially if they're experiencing sleep problems or low energy or kind of more fatigue than usual? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, we were talking about Dina Charya, which means the routine of the day. And there's a term Ritu Charya, which means the routine of the season. And with different seasons, we should be uh, mindful of different factors and adjust in our diet. One of the things what Ayurveda says about this fall um, and into the winter until about the end of February is dominated by they say the vata dosha, the, the movement and flow and, and circulatory uh, super system. Now, there, it also has certain qualities of dryness and lightness and motion. So, you know, dry air and cold is also another quality. So the cold, windy, uh, dry kind of season is creates those qualities in the body. It creates dryness and it may create more coldness and it may create um, some sense of unsettledness or maybe more anxiety. So that can interfere with sleep as well. So the, some of the things to remedy that are simple things, such as just one thing you mentioned, which was this whole thing of routine, even though it's a seasonal effect that during this time, your body will especially appreciate being on a regular schedule because it's more likely to have disorder and it's hormonal and, and the circadian cycle would be kind of off balance. So the more you can be in a regular schedule of your meals as well, the timing of your meals and your sleep and you're getting up in the morning and even your exercise if you can, everything more routine and more regular will help you sleep better. It'll make you feel calmer and it will maximize your energy. Right, thank you. Thank you so much. It's great timing for that advice. Now there's so, some other things if you want, you know, one thing is just to have more oils in your diet this time of year, healthy oils. I think olive oil, for example, can do no wrong. So uh, be liberal with the oils in your diet. I, I'm hoping you're cooking at home now. Um, it's a, it's a, or most of your food, that's kind of one of the little silver linings I think uh, for our health is that more people are cooking at home and they're using simpler ingredients and they're getting more pure and healthy food overall than many times what they have been eating. So uh, cook with plenty of oil or add, add olive oil after you cook. Um, make sure that you're having lots of vegetables. Um, this time of year, the root vegetables have a kind of a grounding effect. So it's a good time to have those squashes and sweet potato and um, the carrots and beets. It's a great time for that. And also dryness on the body, uh, you can help prevent through uh, keeping maybe a, a humidifier in your 
house or apartment to keep the humidity at a, at least like maybe 40, 35, 40% instead of dipping below that. It actually, as you've probably read, is a, an inhibitor for the coronavirus survival as well in the air. If the air is humid, it does not survive as long. So um, it's good to have that extra humidity for that, but it also keeps your skin from drying out a lot of a lot of us experience dry skin in the winter, and a lot of it can be um, mitigated by having a humidifier and also, you know, drinking plenty of water. And Ayurveda has a little secret about water, especially in the cold season. Drinking your water warm or hot. I actually have a my one of my favorite devices right now is my cup warmer, and I have a nice cup warmer that doesn't. Uh, outgas anything. It's a nice uh, glass surface and I keep my cup on it with hot water and nice spring water. Sometimes I have a little ginger root in it or another spice, fennel seeds or something. And it just keeps my water at just the right drinking temperature, like a nice, you know, drinkable tea. And I drink that throughout the day and it keeps your hands and feet from being cold and keeps your circulation going and it helps your digestion because digestion's uh, chemistry and chemistry goes on better in warm temperatures. So, you know, better not to be having cold drinks with your meal and this time of year, have more warm cooked foods and soups and warm spices and, uh, you know, just something that's warm the comfort food that your body really wants now is not sugar, it's actually healthy oils and warm cooked foods. Right, thank you. And thanks for pointing that out about the water. I will definitely put a cup warmer on my holiday <laughs> list because that is something that I, I don't enjoy drinking very cold water as well year round. I'm a, I'm a hot drink person. Um, but yes, that, that would definitely make drinking water more appealing right now. Um, so I did want to ask you about, I know this is not a podcast about beauty, but there are some Ayurvedic practices that relate to skincare and kind of aging and keeping ourselves hydrated. Are there other things that you didn't mention besides the oils and the, the drinking water um, that can help us at this time of year when we're spending so much time indoors and maybe feeling a little bit dried out? Yeah. Um... Well, one of the things is you can actually apply oil to your skin and Ayurveda has a whole practice you can find on the internet if you, if you Google Ayurvedic oil massage or self oil massage. And it's, it has a fancy Sanskrit name called Abhyanga. One of my friends says it rhymes with I'll be younger. <laughs> and it means uh, making the body, skin and limbs and, and parts auspicious and meaning keeping the body parts young and long lived and healthy. And that's that's a um, application of oil. Like you can use sesame oil. That's the Ayurvedic says Ayurveda says that's the best oil overall for massage. Um, this would not be the Chinese toasted kind, but a, a cold pressed organic sesame oil. Or if you like something a little lighter, just uh, olive oil is wonderful. If your skin is very sensitive, like you get rashes easily uh, or irritations, then you might want to use melted coconut oil. 
So ideally, you you warm this to about the same temperature you would have your your tea. Uh, it would be just just comfortably warm to the skin, and you would um, ideally do this massage before you get in the shower. Now I know that's like antithetical to our concept of well, you're you do the shower, your skin fills with water, and then you slather lotion or some kind of cream on after the shower to hold the moisture in. Now you can still do that if that's your practice and it has its own logic and value, but the oil massage is unique. It, when you do this massage and you do the strokes with the flat of your hand, you do circular strokes around your, your joints and then long strokes up and down your arms, legs and circle over your abdomen, up and down your back. You'll see there they have videos on YouTube that describe this. Anyway, when you do this oil massage for five, 10 minutes in the morning, uh, it, it moves the lymph, it increases circulation to the skin and it helps the circulation carry impurities out of your skin and move them from the superficial tissues back into the deeper levels of the body where they go through the liver and the kidneys and out through the elimination channels. So Ayurveda says this is a good way to purify and help your body cleanse itself, especially when done in the morning. You jump in the shower or you can leave it on. Like if you have aches, pains, joint problems, this oil massage, if you leave the oil on for about 20 minutes, maybe you put old pajamas or old sweats on or something. Maybe you go meditate for 20 minutes, do some yoga or have your breakfast before you then go to the shower. Um, that oil soaks in and it's anti-inflammatory and it relieves a lot of this aging kind of aches and pains and stiffness. It can work even within a week. It's, it's pretty amazing. So then you go take your shower. So it's very good for the skin. One of my one of my patients who was in her late 40s told me she had a massage therapist that she went to and her massage therapist said to her, your skin is better than the skin of my teenagers. You know, what are you doing? And she said, oh, it must be the oil massage. I've been doing it for the last 20 years of my life because she learned Ayurveda early. And uh, yeah, it's a fabulous way to, to reduce aging. And it actually oil, sesame oil and olive oil have been shown to inhibit mel um, uh, melanoma cell growth and other skin cancers. So it, it has many, many effects. And one last thing it does, oil does not conduct electricity, whereas water does. So when you put this oil on, you know, we have, we have millions of nerve endings in our skin. It has an immediate calming effect on our nerves. So if you feel like your nerves are edgy or um, touchy, or you lie in bed at night and it's like your whole body's vibrating or your skin or your nerves feel almost like they're just like, they're not settling down you wanna do this oil massage because it's gonna calm your whole nervous system. You can even apply a little oil just on your skin before you go to bed and put that Oops. Sorry about that. So. Kind of enjoying the little dance jingle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So um, yes, you, you, you can put a little oil on your body right before you get in bed, like um, maybe a little coconut oil, especially on the feet. And if you put it on your head, of course, you have to wash your hair in the morning, but it's also a great um, moisturizer for your hair. You'll, you'll look like you had a hair treatment that only your hairstylist can give you. The next morning after you, after you wash it out, your hair will have this shine and it'll be calmed down and not frizzy. It's, it's wonderful. So, so you said this is either sesame oil or olive oil, either one? Yeah, yes, okay. any, any of those. And if you have really sensitive skin, coconut oil okay. is the least uh, reactive. And yeah, any of these oils, you can see which one you like best. The t truth is that um, olive and coconut will come out of your pajamas more easily than sesame oil will. So. Right, 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 right. Um, well, we are coming to the end of our time. Um, I always ask my guests, um, if there's one thing that you would want listeners to know about um, to improve their sleep, what would it be? I think one thing that I haven't mentioned is the whole EMF electrical thing and, and light. And so I would say, you know, you wanna wind down in the evening and get the lights lower. You wanna put on those orange glasses or blue blockers. You want to have on your computer screen or your devices the orange backlighting or the you know the gold tone, so mm -hmm. you're avoiding the blue light and have your bedroom dark. Uh, get blackout curtains if you need to, and uh, go to bed early and wind down. Don't uh, be going a hundred miles an hour until you're ready to just crawl in bed. You know, give your give your body a little time. Do the dishes. Play with your children. Read them a story. You can you can massage your children's feet with a little coconut oil or olive oil at bedtime. That's such a calming thing. Or rub a little on their back. They'll they'll just love it. It'll help them um, get to bed earlier if they have something like that to look forward to. So, so just establish a routine of winding down and really honor your sleep. It's such a foundation of health. And I yeah, that's the main thing I would say. Well, thank you. Yep, that's very helpful. And you are an accomplished author and speaker. Is there something that you're working on that you'd like to share? Or can you tell us where we can learn more about you? Sure, um, I'm always working on the next thing and I will probably launch something fairly early next year that will be something that helps us all uh, bolster our resilience in this time. And uh, the way, best way to get on my mailing list is simply to go to my website, which is drnancyhealth.com, H-E-A-L-T-H, so drnancyhealth.com. Or if you have the spelling of my name in Malia's uh, podcast, uh, she, it's also drlonsdorf.com. You can go to that, it's the same place. So you can take a quiz on stress and find out what your dosha stress type is. And then you get tip a tip a week for six weeks that will guide you in how to balance yourself to have better, uh, less stress and better sleep. And there's also um, a quiz on digestion, which will guide you in what digestive type you are and some tips once a week for uh, improving your digestion according to what your specific Ayurvedic dosha needs are. And that way you'll be on my mailing list. 
Oh, great. Oh, super, super helpful information for everyone to have. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your time and your expertise with us. I think it will help everyone detox a little bit from the, the indulgence of Thanksgiving and kind of the stress that we're all experiencing right now. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I wish everybody a healthy and safe and, and winter growing in balance through Ayurveda. I encourage you all to, to look into it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye for now. It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Now you know. Thanks for checking out.